Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Frau Pow. We're your hosts, Odd and Rags. Um, and today we are going to be talking to our beloved sassy pixie teammate, Malison Wonderland. So Rags likes to call Malice our team Edna. No kips. Um, because she's small and fierce and amazing. Um, and Malice has also seen a lot of shit. So we're going to interview her and talk about um, one particular experience that she's had uh, that we feel like is pretty important to talk about, about how to know your body, what happens when you have a health crisis, um, and how to move past it and live in recovery. I also think it's a another good story of human resiliency, especially in women. Yeah, fuck. We know a lot of resilient women. We do. I'm really grateful for all these resilient women. I was going to say, we're going to start off easy and light, (laughs) and then we're going to go in and hit the heavy stuff. Okay. First question. How did you get involved in roller derby? Um, I grew up on skates, and uh, my grandmother was a roller skater, my uncle was a roller skater, and then... Like professionally? um, My uncle was like a dance skater sort of thing. I have a great picture of my grandmother like at the age of like 20 in roller skates. And I was like, I need to play this sport. And um, I was working with this girl, Jillian, and we said something and we were working and I was just like, I don't know, I just want to play roller derby. And she was like, I want to play. She's like, I play roller derby. And I was on skates like two weeks inside of that moment. Like when I started playing, it was like we were still in the um, like kind of punk girl derby phase where like Mm -hmm. I only skated in fishnets for like the first three years that I skated. Like I live for the fishnets and tutus. Mm -hmm. I live for the exhibition bouts where like that is an acceptable practice. (laughs) Um, So I like the strong and sexy aspect of it, but like they're not mutually exclusive ideals. And, um, you know, I like the, inclusivity and like uh, the community of it and like being a self-proclaimed like mean girl in high school like I just have met a lot of people that in different times in my life we just wouldn't have been friends and like I don't know I just I have nothing bad to say about roller derby I think everybody should play roller derby I literally just said that like 15 minutes ago to an entire table she literally like I think every conversation I've ever had with Malice she's like roller derby can change the world yeah roller derby can change the world I know I like I said I I believe in what is taught in sports and you know I've had I've done a, a lot of different sports at different levels and I've had coaches of like I took that with me, and I continue to do so as an adult. I don't know. I love everything about it. I could do a whole podcast, me just loving roller derby. So I want to talk about um, our central topic today um, and talk about what happened um, when 
you had a stroke. Okay. Well, it actually ties into Derby, funny enough. Exactly. That's a why, little bit. That's, that's why we led up to it. <laughs> yeah. So I woke up. It was the Friday of ECDF. Mm, off to and a good start. I had, yep, it, I had a horrendous, like the worst stiff neck. I like, okay, you know when you do that thing where you turn your head the wrong way and you are pretty sure that you severed all the important parts of your neck because yes. it like burns really bad. Okay, mm-hmm. it was like if that and an ice pick to the neck had had a baby. <laughs> that was the kind of pain it was. So I go through this whole week of this just pain and I'm taking Advil and I'm like, at this point I have a low grade headache and like, <clears throat> again, never to the point where I feel like a normal person would have been like, maybe I should see a doctor about this. So that night, the Thursday night I was going to bed and I said to my mother, I was like, I hope I don't have like meningitis, like kidding around because we just figured this was a stiff neck. Like I'm a, I'm a weird sleeper. Like, you know, I like I could rationalize, I could ration away all of the like. You never think stroke. You never think torn artery in your neck. Well, and you weren't like you weren't like like you didn't lose like half the feel like feeling in half your face, or you weren't. No, like, this was not a, this was not your typical like the stroke that you learn about in like first aid. Like this did not present at that point as a standard stroke. What happened to me was I had a tear in my vertebral artery, which generally happens to older women because your arteries harden. So do they know how you got a, like the tear in your artery? Nope. No, no. My whole thing was that they were like, well, it's an overextension of the neck, which is essentially like, look, and I was like, I spend most of my time looking up for listeners who don't know me. I'm, four foot eight and like 90 pounds. Oh, we already figured that. Like I'm tiny. I spent a lot of time on my toes and I spent a lot of time like looking up at things. So like, don't, but like, that's my whole theory on it in mm-hmm. that, like, it was just basic. Like if you bend something or not, like something metal enough, it's going to eventually break mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, that's fair. but there's no, there's no proof. There's no way for them to ever know what caused like the actual tear. But it's considered trauma to the neck. It's considered trauma to the neck. So in this case, what happened was the artery tore and it flopped over and formed a pocket. And in that pocket formed a blood clot. I'm just like imagining like a little like dead fish sort of flopping. There's also like all all three of us are like I used to equate it to like a limp bit. I was like, it flopped (laughs) over like a little limp penis. (laughs) And like... I know. And like in my mind, like my, my, my veins cartoonish in nature because like, you know, like you, I've told this story like a lot and like, it has to be funny because it's funny, scary and serious. But like, also like, that's the only way, like if you hold your hands up like a field goal and then you but facing your palms in and then you cup your hands, like one hand, like, like a C, like that's what happened essentially. So in that little limp stick, dead fish, um, like, you know, outlet, like Hamlet, the blood clotted. So we get to the hospital and I was ready for brain tumor. They had taken all of my blood and I had had scans and like it was, this was over. So I got to the emergency room probably before, like by 11 AM. And it wasn't until like 10 PM that all the test results came back. So that's such a long day. 
it was a long day. So Doogie Howser's younger sister comes in and uses all these fancy words, which I now know. And she said dissection, which you'll find out, spoiler alert, like that's what it's like. It's the technical term for like the tear in the artery. So my mother's like, cool. That's a word that's not scary. I don't have a brain tumor. She leaves to call my brother. And then this other doctor comes in. And that was the first time we heard the word stroke. And these two nurses show up and they're like, here to take me to the ICU. So I'm like, cool, I can walk. I'm good. And they're like, no, 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 no. I didn't stand up for like three days at, at that point. I wake up the next morning and that's when like all the fun began. And I had artery, I had IVs in both arms. I was getting heparin in both legs. What's heparin? Heparin is a blood thinner, but it's like a serious blood thinner. It's like what they give heart, um, like transplant victims or heart surgery. So, I mean, the the next two days were just kind of a blur. I mean, look, I was a hit as the 33-year-old roller derby playing stroke patient in the ICU. Um, And then, like, when after they did the angio, they leave that open for whatever reason. I don't know why. They can't close it in a tree. Oh, because it's an artery. That's the reason. (laughs) That's the reason why, because they go up through your femoral. So, like, they can't close it because they would cut off the blood supply. So they say to you, like, you can't move, and I'm not good at not moving. (laughs) So when they brought in the bedpan, again, I don't know if anybody has ever had to urinate into a bedpan, but it's just easier if you prop yourself up on the elbows. And I was like, cool, I'm just using, like, my upper chest area to prop up. And the nurse, one of the nurses came in, she's like, you can't be sitting up. And I was like, clearly, what do you know? Like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Like, this is the only way I can do it. You know, in retrospect, I would have rather had a catheter. So not seven seconds later, there is like a nice arch of blood. And I like pushed my little button and I was like, um, I'm bleeding from my like groin incision area. And they're like, do you think it's menstrual? I was like, I do not think it is menstrual. <laughs> then I got I don't. Is I your, don't. Is your like, vagina near your femoral artery? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, this is, this is a perfect arch like spray like this is this is not if this is menstrual then i have bigger problems and you should get somebody in here projectile menstruation no wait it's like an andy warhol like i've never seen in my life so they came in and then i wasn't allowed i was like honestly i'm surprised i didn't end up like like handcuffed to the bed because i got sandbags like at the groin which they'll do i mean they'll they'll do and like but they don't like to do it but um, then I was only allowed to basically like log roll myself. But I had this one nurse who I wish my night nurse, I wish I could remember her name who like came in and like in the middle of the night and she had to do hourly like neuro checks. And like she bathed me and like was I was never more intimate with another human in my life because it was just sort of like I was so grateful for like what she was doing. And like, you know, it was the middle of the night. There was, it was just a very peaceful, like of the whole thing that is, I hold on to that. Cause I was just like in all the chaos and the craziness and the scariness. And like, you know, I can, I can put a sarcastic spin on it, but like, it was fucking horrifying. It was terrifying. And, um, but then like 
the next, then it was like, I got cleared to where I could finally eat. My mother's pictures of me eating. And you would think that like, I just got let out of like somebody's basement. Like <laughs> I'm like diving into this, like, and I've, I haven't showered in like three days. And then it was like, um, I, I was still in IC, like, you know, front and center ICU, but, um, my nurse, Albert had brought me like um, a portable commode because these rooms didn't even have, they're not the ICU of your, um, like of, of Grey's Anatomy. There are no bathrooms. Like there was nothing in there. So he brought this to me. So at least I had like a place to go and it was just sort of like, okay, you're okay to sit up and move around, but like you can't get out of bed without assistance. So I was like, I probably can though. So I would pull off my, I would pull my hard monitor off my finger and undo all my like chest stuff and jump out of bed and like pee really quick and then jump back into bed and like hook myself back up. And he was like sauntering and be like, um, did we unhook all our monitors? And I was like, no. He's like, well, you just flatlined. You're dead. <laughs> um, and that's when I was like able to, yeah. Like, and I would be like, okay, so you caught me. I didn't realize I was being that closely watched. And then like I was, finally allowed to like kind of wander about and I was like first of all no one's about to get me a teeth down so I was in like a ball gown length hospital gown and like I would have my little IV pole and I would like stick my head out and I would walk around but like not to sound like an asshole but like I was aside from being a young healthy person in ICU with like who had a stroke like again ICU is a serious place they're, you know, people are getting horrifying news. They're making horrifying decisions and like kind of attracted a crowd. So I would just like stay, you know, in my room. And then it was, and the only reason I was in ICU for so long is because I have freakishly low blood pressure. Um, and they needed to put me on medication that increased my blood pressure, which they don't like to do. Um, so I was in ICU for, I went on Friday night and I was, downgraded to like a regular um like neurofloor monday night but i only spent two nights like i spent friday and saturday night like front and center and then they like moved me on saturday afternoon or sunday afternoon to like a less central like i was less critical um the danger was like gone and um, I went down to like, and this is all like, I mean, Mars Town Memorial were just phenomenal. I've never gone back and like thanked them in any way, but like, it's, I think that would be a little like PTSD risk for me. Like, but Fair a enough. shout out to them because they were across the board awesome. Like, even Shelly, my ER nurse, was like, when I finally, when they got there to take me up to ICU, she's like, oh my God, like, she's like, you're just so small i'd been sitting i'd been sitting down all day and like she was just like oh my god i just i didn't realize like what was happening but um when i then i went down to icu and they were just like like and came down to like the, the only thing they could do they didn't have to stent me was i essentially like at that point for the following like 90 ish days like i was in risk i was at risk of it happening again in terms of like the artery collapsing and another blood clot being caused. So I had like a follow-up in 90 days. But I did say to the discharge doctor, I was like, he's like, do you, have, you know, when I was being discharged, he's like, do you have any questions? And I was like, I have two questions. <laughs> I was like, um, one, can I smoke pot? Two, can I have sex? Because I'm going to do both of those things 
almost immediately upon leaving here. And I need to know the risk factors. And he laughed and like, you know, the sex part was like, just be careful <laughs> of like the neck area. And actually he's like with the, with the smoking pot, he's like, we, I encourage that because it increases your heart rate, which will increase your, increase your blood pressure. And we want blood shooting up through that artery. And then you pull like a joint out of your bag. And you're like, that's great. And then I was like, cool, cool, perfect. Um, that's exactly what I was looking for. And it gave my mother zero room to give me any shit or any weed that I smoked from that point on. Um, but the thing that was affected was I have been on, I have endometriosis, which is a whole different podcast, but it's a girl part disease. Very common. You'll see commercials for it now, but I was diagnosed when I was like 16, which was 21 years ago. So it was still something not talked about. I've been on birth control as a, as a treatment, preserving my fertility. And I've had surgeries and all that other stuff, but the birth control became the problem um, because neither my gynecologist or my neurologist were going to sign off on me. Like as a smoker over love approaching 35 at that point, we're going to let me be on birth control. Even if it wasn't, even if it was a freak thing. So I ended, I ended up getting an IUD because that was like the only option. So that was the thing that was my real, like, I knew that even before I got out of the hospital, that, that was my concern was like, fuck. But yeah, no, that was the, um, like biggest concern for me. And well, there was they like, tell you that you have a risk of having like a similar stroke. Nope. Nope. I mean, I am at no more risk than either of you. Um, in terms of being a healthy, both of us just looked at each other like, fuck. But like, in terms of like, at this point, like as I stand today, like I am, I have equal risk of anyone in my age, like demographic, like however they measure risk factors of of different health conditions. It generally, it will generally like this isn't something that. I never want to incite panic either. Like this isn't something that like is going to happen. I mean, I, like I said, this was such a rare freak thing um, that it's not, it's not a common thing, you have, but um, if you're looking to get more information on strokes, you can hit the national stroke association, but um, yeah. So here I am today. We're so thankful for healthy. that. I mean, I am too. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a sobering, centering thing to like live through something like that. Um, and you know, I'm lucky, lucky and thankful and happy to be here. And that's as mushy as I can really get in life. Well, we love you, Malice, and thank you for talking to us. Yes, thank you well, so much. Um, we'll yeah, see you soon. I am. Um, I'm really excited about this. So thanks for listening to our interview with Malice in Wonderland. We hope you learned something hopefully useful for yourself or for someone in your life. And if you know somebody who has had a stroke or is at risk of having a stroke, maybe you've learned some warning signs or something along those lines. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, opinions, thoughts, ideas, or etc., etc., feel free to reach out to us at fraupowpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and definitely cannot find us on Twitter. Um, otherwise, don't, don't be a dick. dick.